1: Good morning, friends. My name is Dean Bobar. I'm the adult life minister here, and it's so good to be with you all in worship. Uh, g- good to be with you all at uh, at home. At first service, I said good to see you at home, uh, but that's just really kind of weird, so I'm not going to say that again, but I am going to reference it apparently. Um, on March 31st of this year, the sequel to The Passion of the Christ is slated to come out, and I say it's supposed to come out because there's been so many movie releases that I we think are going to come out and then they go to live streaming or they're postponed. So last I heard the sequel to the passion of the crisis is going to come out in a couple weeks. It's called the passion of the Christ resurrection. How many of you saw the first movie, the passion of the Christ back in 2004, probably, probably, yeah, most of you guys, um, at home, maybe you saw it too. I remember it came out and it was this really big movie amongst Christians and even amongst uh, people out in the world. It came out to popular and critical acclaim, although it had some controversy. I don't know if you remember with Mel Gibson as the director and some of his personal choices in life and who he was and his history. And also some people thought it was too violent to portray the story of Jesus, the passion story and the cross In the opening scene of that movie we get the scripture passage just read being depicted and if you might remember there's a shadowy figure that's supposed to represent the devil kind of in the background and then at the end of the temptation jesus stomps the head of a serpent representing jesus overcoming the temptation well this in fact is actually the first station of the cross the whole movie is built around stations of the cross and we've had uh, in the back here um, the stations in the street artwork um, and you can go uh, check those out we also have a guide that you can use a qr code and you can go online to our website and see that there and uh, for you at home you should see an image coming up either now or or any second now i want to focus in for a minute on that first image jesus is tempted for you who, who are here on campus i invite you to look turn around and just spend a few seconds if you can you can see it. Each image, as you can see, forms the image of a cross in different ways. And here is the cup that Jesus knew he was going to drink as God's son incarnate, the cup of God's wrath. But the snake represents Satan tempting him to not drink of the cup. What I find interesting is that this event in the movie and here in the Stations of the Cross is Portrayed in terms of Jesus being tempted. And just like the movie, this image represents the Satan, the serpent, tempting Jesus to say no to God. Just as Adam and Eve were tempted in the garden to say no to God. And we'll come back to this image at the end of the message. This is a good way, I think, of representing Jesus in this passage. Jesus is being tempted. But what exactly is he tempted to do? In short, he's tempted to say no to God the Father's will. To say no to going to the cross for our sake. Jesus faces the same basic temptations you and I do, but he always says yes to the Father's will. It says in Hebrews that he faces all kinds of temptations that we do, but he was found to be without sin. So Jesus prays for the Father's will In this week's passage. It's week four of our Jesus Praise series as we're taking a look at Jesus prayers before and on the cross, where we're using Jesus prayers as a window into his heart, into his life, so we can learn about who he is, why he matters, and what it means for us to follow him. Today we're going to unpack two areas of our faith in Christ, prayer and the Father's will, and the two intersect. So we're talking about prayer and the Father's will. What is God teaching us here about prayer as Jesus' disciples and God's will for us as his people. Now, before we get into this message for us this morning that God has, we need to spend a little bit of time diving into the mystery of the Incarnation. Sometimes with our faith in Christ, we need to stop and pause and do some theological reflection. And theology sounds like a big, scary word maybe, or a word that's you know just for pastors to do, or just ministers or professionals— But we all do theology. Theology is simply thinking and talking about God and how he relates to his world. It's our faith seeking understanding. So let's unpack this mystery of the incarnation before we get into the passage. First of all, what is the incarnation? The word literally means enfleshment. Carne is Latin for flesh, like chili con carne, you know? It's the enfleshment of God's Son. God's Son takes on flesh or takes on a human nature. The early church came to say it this way. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, became what he was not, but remained what he was. I know it's a little tricky to follow language, but stick with me here. He became what he was not, that is fully human, but remained what he was, fully God. So the Son of God who has existed for eternity took on a human nature in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. He's one person with a divine and human nature, both fully God and fully human. Now, why is this a mystery? Well, we all fully understand that, right? I mean, we we got that all. So clearly it's a mystery. It's something we don't fully understand. But it's a mystery in two senses. One, what was previously hidden has now been revealed about who God is. That in the person of God, in the person of the God, or in the being of the Godhead, there's three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The second sense of calling it a mystery is we don't fully understand how this one person, Jesus of Nazareth, can be both fully God and fully human. But the early church, and since that time, we've declared certain things in our creeds and our confessions about Jesus and our teachings of the faith to protect the mystery, to not go too far beyond what God has revealed in the scriptures. So that's the mystery of the incarnation. Why do we need to know about that before we get into this week's passage? Well, in studying and preparing to preach for this week, it dawned on me that we need to spend some time thinking about that to really understand what's happening here. And here's why. Because we can relate to Jesus because he's fully human. There's certain things he can teach us here because he is truly a human being and we can relate to him and he can teach us about that. But on the other side of things, he's also fully God and we have to take that into account. And so he also gives us a window into the purposes and plans of God as well. He's the God man. One of the things that my New Testament professor, Jeremy Hage taught me in a class on the Gospel of Mark a number of years ago, he's now retired is he said that the divinity and humanity of God's not like a toggle switch. It's not like you read one passage and it's like, oh, he's fully God. And in this passage, he's fully human. And then he's back to fully God. No, he's always acting as the God man. And so when Jesus prays here, he's praying as the God man. As God, as fully God, he lets us into what God is up to. And as fully human, he teaches us about prayer. Is that making sense there? A little bit? Maybe a few things about the mystery of the incarnation? All right, let's now begin to focus on Jesus, the God-man, praying for the Father's will. And we're going to start with the prayer part. So I want you to spend just about 20, 30 seconds thinking about prayer. Okay? What images, what feelings, what ideas come to mind when you hear the word prayer? Maybe it's an image of kneeling. Maybe it's hands raised. Maybe it's confusion. Maybe it's a joy. Whatever it is. Take about 20, 30 seconds to just think about what comes to mind when you think about prayer. All right, are there maybe a few brave people that might be willing to share what what came to mind, whether it's an idea, an image, or a feeling? Peace. Peace, oh, that's cool. That's good. Communication. Relief. relief. You gain relief. Okay. Anyone else? It can also be an image, too, or an idea. Thankful. Thankfulness. Okay. Awesome. I've found that prayer can be a joy, it can be a burden, and it can also be a mystery. Can you relate to those things? Uh, For me, mostly it's a joy, but very often it's a burden in the sense that I feel like I'm so focused on doing things that I, I don't take the time that's available to talk with God, to be present with God as he's present with me. Can anyone else relate to that? Or is that just me? A few people? Well, what does Jesus show us in this passage as one who is fully human? Well, earlier in the gospel story, if you read all the gospels together, we see Jesus' disciples watching him pray, and they go, Jesus, we want you to teach us to pray. There's something about how you pray that we want to learn. And one of the things that we see as Jesus prays and as he teaches us about prayer is that we can approach prayer, and we need to approach prayer, as simply a conversation with God. When we go beyond that, we make things too complicated sometimes in an unnecessary way. We think it's like this mysterious thing that, you know, you have to have just the right words, or you have to do it just the right way, or it's only for just certain times or just certain people. And really, God says, I just want you to talk with me. I'm with you. Talk with me. Let's talk about what's going on in life. Let's talk about where you're at. God is real and present. He is listening and speaking. And this is the reality that Jesus lived into. Not just because he's fully God, but because he's also fully human. Dallas Willard describes God's creation in this way. He said that it's a God bathed and God permeated world. Don't you love that phrase? God bathed and God permeated world. Dallas Willard is now with the Lord. He was this spiritual theologian who taught a lot of people about Jesus and prayer and God's kingdom and discipleship. And he has some of these really big, meaty quotes. And this one's kind of long, but it's worth uh, sticking with me to, to listen for this. Okay. He says, Jesus' good news about the kingdom can be, effect, can be an effective guide for our lives only if we share his view of the world in which we live. To his eyes, this is a god bathed and God-permeated world. It is a world filled with a glorious reality where every component is within the range of God's direct knowledge and control. Though we obviously permit some of it, for good reasons, to be for a while, otherwise than as he wishes. It is a world that is inconceiv- inconceivably beautifully beautiful and good because of God and because God is always in it. It is a world in which God is continually at play and over which he constantly rejoices. Until our thoughts of God have found every visible thing and event glorious with his presence, the word of Jesus has not yet fully seized us. Now, there's a lot in there, but do you get that sense of this God bathed, God permeated world that Jesus knew about and invites us into? Jesus could pray that way because he had this vision of God's presence in the world, that it was a God bathed and God permeated world. I want you to imagine with me. That you're trying to get in contact with a friend that's in another state and all you have is your cell phone but your your cell phone's just not working and so you're you're you have no other access to any form of communication so you you're just you're going to try to communicate with them okay all right my phone's dead i need to call uh my friend john in texas i'm gonna how do i communicate with him now this is kind of a silly mental exercise but I think that's sometimes how our prayer experience is like, right? We have the sense of, I want to communicate with God, but I'm not quite too sure I'm interacting with him. Like, God's invisible. So how do I know he's listening? How do I speak to him? Does anyone else ever have that kind of experience where there's almost a strangeness that we need to overcome? Being fully human, Jesus does teach us that an interactive relationship with God is possible. And this message isn't going to cover all aspects of that, but Jesus does teach us some key things that we can sit at his feet and learn about for, for prayer. One of the key things that Jesus teaches us in this week's passage is that prayer is much more about God the Father's will than ours. I'll say that again. Jesus teaches us that prayer is much more about God's will than ours. I don't know about you, but I'm often very tempted to make my prayer life all about my will and getting what I want. God, here's my list. Here's all the things I want. Here's all the things I want you to do. Good talking with you. It's almost like God becomes a Santa Claus kind of God. Now, on the surface, it seems that Jesus may be more concerned about his will than the Father's. Yes, Jesus does say, not as I will, but as you will. But Jesus says the same words three times we hear, the same basic prayer we hear about that in verse 44. This is persistent prayer. He's asking, he's seeking, he's knocking, he's not giving up in prayer. Why does Jesus keep on asking if there's another way to save the world? Why does he say, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done? Why does he say, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Why does he say those things? Is it because Jesus wants his way? Here's the reason why. Jesus knew what he was about to experience. He knew what was about to come in his crucifixion. Look with me, if you have your Bible still open, at verses 37 and 38. Verse 37, and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he takes with him his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. How much so? We hear about in verse 38. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. He is so overcome by sorrow and grief that he feels like he's dying. Have you ever had grief wash over you in something that like that kind of way where it just feels like it's overtaking you. you, you can't deal with it? The movie, The Passion of the Christ, has a very vivid portrayal of the intense emotional and physical suffering of crucifixion. And it also got into somewhat the spiritual experience for Jesus as God's son incarnate. You see, it's important to understand that there was something unique about Jesus' crucifixion. We know from history that in Jesus' day, there were actually thousands upon thousands of crucifixions. There were times where there were hundreds or even thousands of people crucified, Jewish men who had revolted, crucified, just dotting the, the hills of the promised land. So crucifixion was a very common rally. But what was different about the crucifixion of this one Jewish man? What made Jesus' death unique was that it was redemptive. It was God's son incarnate. God was at work in a unique way in this man who was both fully God and fully human. God put on Jesus the judgment we deserve for our sin. I don't fully understand how that happened, but that's what the scriptures say. Say that again. God put on Jesus the judgment we deserve for our sin, the judgment I deserve, the judgment you deserve, the judgment the whole world deserved. So as God's incarnate son, Jesus not only experienced the pain and suffering of crucifixion as being fully human, but as fully God, he began to experience this breaking of this fellowship he had with God the Father and God the Spirit. He had always known that. He never had any beginning. He's always known that experience, and now it's broken. He's never not been with the Father. I imagine it's the kind of grief of like, when you are married for 70 years and you lose your spouse. I work a lot with seniors at this church. And one of the most painful things for me is connecting with widows who have been married for 70 years. And they say, I, I've, I don't know what I've, most of my life has been with my spouse and they're gone. And the grief is just so daunting for them. It's something like that. That's an analogy for something what Jesus had, that that union was being broken because the sin of the world was coming upon him and God's judgment was coming upon him. It was separating him from God. Just before Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives with his disciples, he celebrated the Last Supper with them. After this passage, he's betrayed, but before this passage, he's celebrating the Last Supper. If you have your Bibles open I invite you to go a little bit further back to verses 26 through 29. Now, as they were eating, they're eating the Passover meal, the Jewish festival. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus is celebrating this Jewish festival where it's Passover, where there's a killing of a lamb that's eaten in a certain way to celebrate God's deliverance, God's redemption of the Israelites from Egyptian slavery. Some 1,500 1,200, 1,500 years earlier. And he takes that meal and he says, I am the new Passover. There's a new deliverance, a new redemption happening. And I'm making a new covenant where there's this intimacy, this knowledge, this forgiveness, like God's people have never experienced before. The prophets had talked about it, like in passages, like in Jeremiah 31 or Ezekiel 36. And he says, it's happening now. Now. Jesus teaches them that through his death, he's going to reconcile the world to himself. You see, Jesus was committed to God's will, God's calling for him to save the world. But he knows how horrific it's going to be. And he says, Lord, is there another way? God, I need your wisdom, your strength to go do this. This is where I'm at, and I need your help to be faithful to what you're calling me to do. You see, friends, Jesus wants to hear from you God the Father wants to hear from you. The Spirit wants to hear from you when you're in those moments. He doesn't just want pious language to hear the right words. He wants to hear where we're really at. Jesus was tempted to say no. The serpent was coming around the cup that was being placed before him and saying, don't take this cup. But he said, yes. He says, out of love for this broken, hurting world, I will give myself as a sacrifice for sin. I will be this new Passover lamb to redeem the world. And so Jesus teaches us that through his redemptive death, through his life-giving resurrection, this interactive relationship with God is possible. That he wants us to have an open and honest conversation with him. Now, where does God's will fit into our prayer lives? So let's move from the praying part to the Father's will part. What does it look like for you and I to get to the point to say, not as I will, but as you will, to roll up our lists and not make our prayer lives about our lists? Well, I think it starts with the realization that prayer isn't fundamentally about my will getting what I want. I want you to imagine with me all your conversations this last week. Just pick a few conversations. Imagine that all of those conversations were all about getting what you wanted and your will. Like everything you said was just about what you wanted and there was no other concern about what anyone else wanted or anyone else's will. What kind of relationship would that be like? Or imagine maybe someone else only was only ever concerned about their will with you and they were just, everything they said was about what they wanted. What kind of relationship would that be? There's, there's not much happening when it's just simply, here's my request, give me what I want. God invites us into something so much richer, this communion with God through our Lord Jesus. Several years ago, Philip Yancey wrote this book, Prayer Doesn't Make Any Difference, and it really had a big impact on me. For Yancey, prayer is keeping company with God. It's very similar to the definition of a conversation with God, but it's a little bit broader. You can sometimes just keep company with someone without speaking, but you're intentionally present with the person. If you've been married for a while, you you might know what I'm talking about. Maybe you're at a party that you don't want to be at, or you're ready to leave and you can look over and you both, you know, knowingly look at one another like, okay, I'm ready to go. you ready to go. Okay. And you go, right? Or maybe you've been with a a friend from college or that you grew up with and you can just hang out and you can just tell when the person's hurting. They don't have to say a thing. You're just present with them. It's that kind of keeping company that we can do with God. God is always present with us. The question is, will we be intentionally aware and present with him? Sometimes our conversation with God is just being silent before him and knowing that he's present, resting in his presence. Sometimes I like to go for prayer walks and I just like to feel the breeze. I love that we, where we live, there's usually an afternoon breeze and it reminds me that God's spirit is at work. God's spirit is blowing. Because in Hebrew and Greek, that's spirit, wind, breath. That's all the same word. And so that's a reminder for me as a geeky theologian that God's spirit is always blowing. And sometimes I just rest in that. God, you're in control. You're good. You're at work. So what are some things we can pray for concerning the Father's will? There's a whole lot of different ways we can answer that question. I thought it was interesting to look at Jesus' first invitation to discipleship, to learn about some of the things that are on the Father's heart, on Jesus' heart. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of people. Follow me, get to know me, and I will make you become, grow to become like me, fishers of men. We go on mission with Jesus. So knowing Jesus, growing to become like Jesus, going on mission with Jesus. We can break it down in that way. Knowing Jesus, Jesus invites us to follow him, to have this interactive relationship where we get to know him and his ways. And so in prayer, we can talk to Jesus about growing our desire to get to know him. Sometimes just starting with, God, I desire to, to de- desire more. And that sometimes is a great starting point. We can talk to him about some of the barriers to getting to know him and how we can work through the. And then there's growing together to become like Jesus. Jesus connects us together as we follow him with other followers of Jesus and we grow together as we seek to do what Jesus asks us to do. So in prayer, you can talk to God about your sin, about your brokenness, about areas of growth, about how you need forgiveness. You can receive forgiveness. You can ask for God's direction, God's power. God loves to talk about those kinds of things in prayer. And then finally going on mission with Jesus. Jesus says follow you follow me and I'll make you become fishers of people. We get involved with what Jesus is doing in the world. As he's fishing for people as he's inviting people to follow him. We get to love on people. We get to lead them to the good news of Jesus. We get to listen to where pe- people are at. And it's not like we need to go get Jesus involved. He's already involved. He says, come along the ry- on the ride with me with what I'm doing. So in prayer, you can talk to God about those kinds of things. How is he preparing you to serve him? What opportunities is he putting in your path that he's not putting in my path, that he's not putting in other people's here path, just in your path? All of those kinds of things, the knowing, the growing, the going, are the kinds of stuff we talk about in our Roots Discipleship Program. And we do that a couple times a year. We're gonna be doing it again in April. And that's a way to learn more about us as, as a church and uh, put down roots here at Christ Pacific. So if you've been watching online for a bit and maybe feeling comfortable coming back soon or here new on campus, uh, we'd love to talk with you more about that. You'll be hearing more in the coming weeks. Um, but that's just a little aside that that's who we are as a church. And those are the kinds of some of the kinds of things that God the Father loves to talk with you about. So does, it, does this mean that God doesn't want to hear about what's on my heart? That he doesn't care about what I want? Because that, that's what it might feel like, and that's what I don't want you to hear me saying. Because in addition to hearing us, in addition to teaching us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, as he teaches us in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus also encourages us to persist in prayer. He says, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. So how can both things be true, Jesus? Well, what happens is that prayer changes us. That's one of the ways that prayer makes a difference. In Psalm 37, 4, it says this, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. If you read the psalm earlier, delight yourself in the Lord means trusting in the Lord and doing good. In other words, discipleship, all that stuff we talked about, knowing, growing, going, it's just another way of talking about that. As we delight in God in prayer, as we pray, our desires begin to change. and my heart, my will aligns more and more with God's will in God's heart. I realized this week in preparing for this passage that there's actually two ways to get what I want in prayer. One is I just keep on asking, keep on asking, and, and God answers my prayer request. The other way is my heart changes more and more, and my will aligns with God, so that more and more I get what I want. Do you see how that works There is In the process of prayer, our conversation with God changes us, so that what we want aligns with what God wants. And it happens as we really take up Jesus' call to follow him. Because part of his call is to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What well, God really wants for us is redemption. He wants us to be rescued from our sin and restored as he created us to be and to do and to live. But we have to do it on God's terms. We have to do it as God desires for us. It's in surrendering ourselves and our lives to God's kingdom, just as Jesus surrendered his life to God and God's kingdom. Let's return to that first image in the street, of the stations in the street where Jesus is tempted. It's going to be up on the screen shortly, if not now. And I invite you to look again back there. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus was tempted to not take up his cross. We too are tempted to not take up our crosses. We don't drink the cup of God's wrath, but we do have some self-denial, some suffering, our own path before us in taking up our cross. We're tempted to avoid that. Maybe to even choose the good instead of the best that God has for us. But God invites us to lay down our sin, our brokenness, our failure, our past, and to trust and follow in him. At this time, uh, Peter's going to come up, and he's going to lead us in some guided prayer time. And I invite you to really go to God and be open and honest with him.
0: Thank you so much, Dean. Uh, hey, by the way, um, I'm selling Dean's sermon notes for twenty bucks after uh, after the service today. <laughs> uh, Psalm thirty-seven: For delight yourself in the Lord, and He will grant you the desires of your heart. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Thank you that you are keeping company with us. And we now desire to keep company with you, to delight ourselves in you. Thank you that we get to do this in a God-bathed and God-saturated world. We ask that you would give us eyes to see this God-bathed and God-saturated world. Help us to see our own lives as the God-bathed and God-saturated lives that they are. And God, we know that we probably shouldn't uh, spend a bunch of time trying to convince you to do our will. We know that uh, that probably wouldn't work out very well. And so we do ask that you would transform our wills, that they might become more like your will. And so we rest in that promise from Psalm 37 as we delight ourselves in you that you would transform our desires, that they might be more like your desires. And then wouldn't you just be so delighted to grant them? So I'm going to invite you with me to tell God what you want. This is our version of, Father, if it's possible, remove this cup from me. And then I'm going to invite you to surrender your desires to the transforming work Of Jesus Christ. And then I'm going to invite you to pray along with Jesus not my will, but your will be done. And so I just invite you to think about for a moment your marriage or your singleness. And I want to invite you to tell God what you want than to surrender your desires to Him and to pray your will, not mine. I invite you to think about your employment. And again, to tell the Lord what you want. And then to surrender your desire to the transforming work of Jesus Christ. And then to pray with him, Father, not my will, but yours be done. For those of you who have children, I want to invite you to think of your kids, either young or adult children. I invite you to think of your parenting and your parenting style. I invite you to tell God what you want. And then to surrender your desire to the transforming work of Jesus Christ. And to pray with him, Father, not my will be done, but yours. I want to invite you to think about your finances and to tell the Lord what you want. And then to surrender your desires to the transforming work of Jesus Christ. And pray with him, Father, not my will be done, but yours. I invite you to think of your health, your mental health, your physical health, your spiritual health. I invite you to tell the Lord what you want. And to surrender your desires to the transforming work of Jesus Christ. And to pray with him, Father. Not my will, but your will be done. Lastly, I invite you to think of the larger community in which you live. Maybe it's your neighborhood. Maybe it's the state of California. Maybe it's the United States or maybe it's the whole globe. Invite you to tell the Lord what you want. to surrender your desires to the transforming work of Jesus Christ, and to pray with him, Father, your will be done. Father, we long to be people who delight ourselves in you, who keep company with you in your God-bathed and God-saturated world. And we ask that you would give us the desires of our hearts. That our hearts might more and more begin to desire what you desire. And we pray, as Psalm 37 goes on to say, as we commit our ways to you, O Lord, and as we trust in you, that you will act, that you will do what only you can do, according to your good pleasure. We trust you, Jesus. We love you. Thank you for hearing us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. God's people said, amen. Thanks for joining our Christ Pacific Sunday Sermon podcast. To hear more of our sermons, or to subscribe, or to learn how you can be engaged with what we're up to in Huntington Beach, please visit us at cbchb.org.